Welcome back to another edition of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. I'm your host, Justin March. And this is a topic of conversation that you might have had with your friends many times before, talking about how to think about Bitcoin versus Ethereum, or more broadly, Bitcoin's ecosystem versus smart contract ecosystems, and thinking through some of the dynamics in that debate. What makes Bitcoin stand out from the rest? What makes it different and better in certain ways? And what can we say about the Ethereum ecosystem? How is that one uh, relative to Bitcoin? And, and what should we think about its prospects moving forward? This is, I think, a pretty fascinating debate to be had. And I'm sitting here with Alexander Leishman, who is the CEO and founder of River, a Bitcoin bank. Alex is one of my good friends, and he represents a really valid, sober, and articulate viewpoint on what makes Bitcoin special. So let's dive in. I, I for one, am super excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, you know we go way back. Yeah. Um, I might, could you share a little story about how we met? Is yeah, so I think it was... Um... Well, 2013, uh, we were both backpacking in Thailand and met at a hostel in Bangkok. Isn't that crazy? Started talking about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. and, you know, our, our paths, uh, you, know, you know, kind of joined again, you know, years, years down the road. Like, oh, yeah. Base, I'd moved to. It was a crazy moment, too. I mean, like, you know, back in that era, finding anybody that knew what Bitcoin was was like an accomplishment. And then I was just chatting with this random person at a, you know, a hostel in Bangkok. And uh, what was it 2017? when you came by the Coinbase happy hour, some random Coinbase happy hour party. Yeah. And we had this like, wait, what the heck? Oh my God, moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you had like gone off to Airbnb and did like application security or something like that. And then you found your way back to crypto with Polychain or something, right? Yeah. So I had moved to the Bay Area. I worked at a Bitcoin startup um, before going to grad school. Uh, and, and I did my master's at Stanford in computer science. And uh, I actually was the TA for the first iteration of Bitcoin class there. So That's a badge. Yeah, that was, that was cool. Get an NFT for that one, huh? Yeah, actually, <laughs> get Dan, Dan Benet to send me an NFT. Yeah. Um, and then uh, did a short stint at Airbnb out of grad school, um, you know, get that get some big tech cash in the bank. But only only honestly stayed for about like eight months because I missed Bitcoin stuff so much and ended up going to Polychain. And, uh, um, you know, that, that, that's where I was until starting River. Yep. And then you started River in 20, what was it, 2018? Uh Let's see. No, 2019. 2019. So left Polychain in 2019. Um, Olaf and crew led the seed round and in, in, in River, yeah. and uh, they've been great partners ever Go since. Go ahead and plug River for us. <laughs> what is River? <laughs> so uh, River, we're building a Bitcoin bank. Um, we started as a, a Bitcoin broker, brokerage and custody service focused on the higher end of the retail market, mass affluent, ultra high net worth individuals. Uh, we are now expanding and building out novel Bitcoin financial products that you can't get anywhere else based around different pillars of the Bitcoin ecosystem. So the first one that we launched recently was um, River Mining, which makes buying Bitcoin miners and, and running them as easy as buying Bitcoin. And so with River Mining, you have Bitcoin miners sitting in your River account and the, and the cash flows or the, the Bitcoin rewards from, from the, the mining activity just deposits into your, into your account daily. Um, and we're, fo we're focused on you know taking various parts of the Bitcoin ecosystem and building you know, next generation financial products that generate Bitcoin cash flows for people yeah. because we think there's a big opportunity there. It's super exciting and actually uh, segues nicely with what I'm excited to chat with you about. And it's an important part of our river. It's Bitcoin only. Yes. You don't focus, you, you're focused solely on Bitcoin. You have blinders on to pretty much every other asset. Yeah, I, I, you, that's, yeah, that's how I would describe it. I think there's just such an opportunity to focus on building really, really, really good Bitcoin financial products 
And that's, that's what we want to specialize in. That's what we're good at. And that's what we deeply care about. Yeah. And, um, you know, you got to pick what you're, what you're good at. And, and that's, that's what we I do. can attest that you are indeed passionate about Bitcoin <laughs> yes. from day one, basically. Yeah. So, Hey, what I wanted to chat with you today though, is actually, I wanted to just chat with you about your perspectives on Bitcoin versus the rest of the crypto market. Reason is you have a pretty healthy respect, a sober minded respect for the value Bitcoin brings to the table. And also kind of in relation to the value proposition of other cryptocurrency assets. You represent, can I use the word Bitcoin Maxi? Is that, is that okay? Or, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. a fair description, okay, okay, but yeah. maybe a little more nuanced little than okay. some people would think. You're definitely not a, a hard-headed maximalist that, you know, is stuck in your ways. Mm -hmm. you, you have a balanced, sober-minded perspective, and it's one that espouses the benefits and properties of Bitcoin that make it stand out from all the rest. So I wanted to get you on here and just talk about it because I think yeah. it's not a very well represented viewpoint. I think most people are excited about all the new fancy gadgetry and all the other blockchains and systems and smart contracts and NFTs and blah, blah, blah. Let's return to the core. Yeah. Give it to me straight. What is your thesis and your perspective on Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah. So um, Bitcoin itself uh, at, at its base, I believe, is um, more of a monetary innovation than a technical innovation. Um, Bitcoin, in my opinion, is the best money that the world's ever seen. And, and I believe, I deeply believe that Bitcoin is on a trajectory to become the reserve currency of the world. The technical details of Bitcoin are fascinating. It's an infinite rabbit hole. Um, but at its core, uh, that's why Satoshi created it. Um, Satoshi created Bitcoin to be this next generation, you know, money uh, for humanity. And, um, you know, because of that, I think that's, and, and because it's come so far in such short amount of time and, and it's continually exceeded its expectations, I believe that it actually is on a trajectory to fulfill this this prophecy, basically. And um, that there's 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 little bigger than that. Basically. Yeah. 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 Let me share my perspective and we can compare and contrast. Sure. So uh, my base perspective here is that, you know, Satoshi pioneered the key invention of the blockchain. And that enables us to have a decentralized consensus, meaning we can come to agreement on something. When I use the word we, I mean, me and any other individual on Earth can collectively come to agreement on something, even if I don't trust any other individual in that network. I don't even know who I don't even have to know who they are. But somehow, collectively, this whole conglomerate of people can come to agreement on something. That's the key innovation. Now, Satoshi also obviously pioneered this with Bitcoin in mind, which was a monetary application on top of that invention. So what's the first thing you can do if you have decentralized trust? Well, you can add a ledger and you can have digital decentralized money, which I think to your point, you know, revolutionizing money is an incredibly huge value proposition. My thesis, though, is that it's not just money that can be applied to these, you know, uh, blockchain infrastructure stacks here. You can also do other things like you can add smart contracts and layer in, you know, interesting financial primitives and kind of go above and beyond just the idea of money. But I will agree with you that money itself is a very, very powerful uh, I mean, probably probably one of the most powerful disruptions that we've seen in a very long time, right? But I guess I'm curious, like, do you uh, push back against the idea that other things have value? Or is it just that you care so much about the economic side of Bitcoin that it trumps all the others? So, I, no, I actually do think that there's value in um, these decentralized sort of compute applications. I do think Ethereum has a lot of very interesting things going on. But I think a lot of people sort of um, don't quite understand why uh, a lot of these things on Ethereum are as popular as they are. And I do think that there is a trajectory where, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of these things eventually move over 
in, into layered solutions on Bitcoin years down the road. That said, um, there are very, very uh, valuable sort of financial applications built on Ethereum and other blockchains. But the, what, what makes them valuable, though, is not um, that they're decentralized. Um, so specifically, um, to be more specific, let's take a look at like collateralized lending um, protocols. Um, you know, if I want to borrow um, USD against Bitcoin, I can use like wrapped Bitcoin and I can use USDC on uh, on mm -hmm. an Aave or something like that. Right. And get great rates and have a very seamless experience, self-custody. Right. No, but this isn't a trustless thing because wrapped Bitcoin is, uh, you know, we're trusting BitGo and USDC. We're trusting Circle. Um, but I just got something I couldn't get in a centralized sort of like logged in KYC sort of platform. Yeah. And so like, why is that? Well, fundamentally, um, what what this DeFi ecosystem has is providing is that this open protocol, this um, frictionless, like liquidity can move around frictionlessly um, and people can interact with it permissionlessly. But the real value is the regulatory arbitrage that this complexity allows. It basically allows for routing around an ossified regulatory system. Because theoretically, um, absent um this this crazy regulatory state that we have any company can offer kyc free collateralized lending services or for capital flows flow frictionlessly with apis that could be connected to a bunch of other services but we can't because it's illegal um so fundamentally like that's the innovation of DeFi, and it's not and, and i'm not saying like that in a bad way it's actually like a, a great thing that we're able to route around this like ossified like nonsense um but but, but so you know I, I was just talking to a friend and i think he put it a great way it's not really decentralized finance, it's transparent finance. Hmm. Um, and I, I think that's really the innovation. Yeah, I think there's there's probably elements that there that are, are rather, you know, correct in its application. It is regulatory arbitrage today to a decent degree. Um, on the other hand, you know, I think that like, if the regulatory structures don't permit global financial products to kind of be created, there's something wrong with the regulatory structures. Well, exactly. And in, in a big part, like the uh, emergence of DeFi and, and these deep, you know, blockchains that are decentralized, quote, quote, or whatever, right? Like mostly decentralized. Um, they're forcing the issue. Yes. They're saying, look, we have, to, we have to reform the regulatory structure to enable greater capital efficiency, greater economic freedom in the world. Absolutely. So I think that uh, maybe we can agree, right? That like, you know, these other, other platforms and projects are definitely doing a great service to the world by pushing on these regulatory buttons. A hundred percent. And when, when I say this is regulatory arbitrage, I mean that in a good way. Yeah. The re a lot of these regulations are ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I think that's a that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, it's a massive feature. As as the founder of River, I think you have probably a bare metal experience with some of the frictions in the current regulatory. Issue. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and you know, don't get me wrong, we follow all all the regulations, but you know, it's like you know, it's like paying your taxes really makes you hate the IRS, right? Yeah. Like the the more rules you have to follow, follow the the more you realize how messed up they are. Well, actually, I want to go back to one other thing, though, too. These smart contract platforms like Ethereum and Solana and others were just as decentralized as Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You would still prefer Bitcoin because you think it is the best version of money. Can I touch on this and ask, yeah. you know, what makes it the best version of money? I think there's like sort of two buckets of use cases, like for blockchains, right? There's like the money use case, in which case you could say Bitcoin serves as that, Ethereum serves as that sometimes. These these layer ones serve as that. Then there's this sort of like smart contract compute, decentralized compute, which Bitcoin just doesn't play in that world, right? So like so now so now we're talking about like sort of like okay, what's good money? Um, Bitcoin is, in my opinion, the best money because um, of its properties and its origin story. Um, one, it's scarce, right? There's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. Everyone knows this. This is a meme that is now sort of like universally known. It's extremely powerful, right? Um, Bitcoin's origin story is the only pure 
origin story of any coin. It was the first. There can never be another Bitcoin. There can never be another coin that was able to um, sort of launch and organically grow without any corporate interest, mm -hmm. any institutional interest, any government interest. Even the creator is anonymous. Yeah. yeah and the even creation the creation myth is, is pretty powerful. The creation myth. And nobody has still to this day figured out who it was. And there's something extremely powerful about this, and it can never be done again. Every blockchain that launched after Bitcoin had an aspect that made it sort of corrupt isn't the right word because that implies sort of malintent um, that made it less pure. Um, and that's extreme. That's an extremely important aspect to Bitcoin. Right. And, um, it, and and the fact that there literally just can never be another thing like blockchain that launches like that ever in the history of the world again. Um, and then on top of that, it's robustness and it's extremely conservative approach to development and change makes it the asset where if you go through the thought experiment, okay, if I had to park money in one cryptocurrency and, um, you know, I couldn't touch it for 20 years, you know, which one would I pick? Um, you know, you know, you, you like, you know what Bitcoin's probably going to look like in 20 years, right? You don't know what any of these other things are going to look like in 20 years. And for that reason, I think a lot of people would pick Bitcoin. Yeah. Let me, let me go back to the first two points you made. Basically that, hey, the creation myth is very powerful. It's a fair distribution and there's only ever going to be 21 million coins. The question that I want to crystallize here is why is that important in creating good money? Because anytime that you make, so if these rules weren't hard coded in, right? Um, if you had uh, the, so, so it's, it's not just that, it, it's that those things are hard coded in like 21 million isn't itself an important number, mm -hmm. right? It could have been 22 or 25. Like, that the fact that it's 21 isn't what makes it special. It's the fact that it's never going to change, right? It's the fact that these are the rules. They're baked in from the beginning and they're never changing. And that's what's important is certainty. It's the it's the extreme. It's an extremely strong market signal um, that everyone can rally around. I actually have a question for you here. And it's like, look, like, I think it's the certainty that it matters the most. The fact that 21 million is all that's ever going to exist, like actually maybe the best economic system for money would have a little bit of inflation built in, right? I mean, you it's know, possible. But, it, but as long as it just doesn't change and people knew that nobody could affect it willy-nilly, yes. that's the psychological power of it. Exactly. And um, yeah, exactly. And what in contrast, right, to an Ethereum or a Solana or these other things is like, we know 100% these things can change and do change all the time. Fund like the fundamental parameters of these ecosystems and these blockchains. Um, Ethereum is basically undergoing a universal sort of consensus change pushed by like, you know, a, a central foundation, right? Um, Solana is just run by a company, right? And these things aren't bad, right? Inherently, but they don't make good money, right? Um, or or they don't make a timeless money. They, 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 they bring about, it, it's a, it, 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 it's it's much more like the Fed than like gold. Yeah, there's a different philosophy of play here, right? And maybe the counterpoint is that, you know, well, like just like laws, when they were first created, we kind of like, okay, yeah, like the laws are pretty legitimate. And, you know, if a democratic process was followed, at least 50% of the people are approval of it, right? But then, you know, as the world changes 10, 15, 20, 100 years down the road, well, maybe the law looks silly at that point. So the counterpoint to this is, yeah, Bitcoin is ossified in its structure. Nobody controls it. And we know that things generally are not going to change. But is is that such a good thing in the long run? The counterpoint might be that, hey, Ethereum's ability to upgrade and change with the times could be viewed as a feature rather than a bug. In fact, they can respond to market conditions 
They can respond to forces that might want people to build XYZ on their chain instead, or you know, be nimble and, and adjust things. So there's certainly a trade-off there, right? There's definitely a trade-off. Um, you know, that said, uh, there isn't an example in recorded human history of humans controlling money and not messing it up. Okay, that was deep. Um, <laughs> let me think about that for a second. Uh, yeah, okay. If you take a long enough time frame, that's probably true. What, what would make you it not have to yeah. look that long? I mean, the average fiat, the average lifetime of a government currency is, you know, thirty years. And is that because governments messed up fiscal policy or is it because wars wiped out a country and then, you know, bye-bye goes the currency or what was the effect there? Um, well, I mean, it's always different, right? But it's always the incentive structures that are different. Now, that said, Ethereum is fundamentally different because, A, like it isn't, it, I mean, it, it isn't really just money, right? It's a different setup than a nation state currency where, um, you know, you have a central bank that can print it and, you know, you know, reward themselves sort of currency. Um and print money basically to, you know, get the country into debt and um, fund, you know, infrastructure. It, like it's just a completely different, mm -hmm. different setup. And the Ethereum Foundation, you know, isn't probably couldn't get away with creating more Ethereum to give themselves. Right? That probably wouldn't be successful. That said, um, you know, with the way things are going in Ethereum development, um, especially shifting towards proof of stake. We're getting closer and closer to the type of system we have now with when it comes to the dollar, right? Where it's, you know, it basically will become controlled by large financial institutions because those will be the largest um, stakers. Okay, so let me see if I can summarize uh, in a bit of a, you know, a thousand foot view type of thing. The idea is that, hey, if we're going to create money that's going to stand the test of time, we need to limit human involvement in that money because human involvement probably means we're going to mess it up somehow. Or there's going to be incentives or power structures shift and change. And generally, there's going to be some, you know, conglomerate that gets more power than others. And then they're going to corrupt the system. And over a long enough time frame, ooh, that's really bad. And, you know, these things probably are going to die, right? Based on past history and everything else. Therefore, hey, Bitcoin as this structure that is maximally decentralized, maximally ossified in its financial parameters and, you know, economic conditioning, um, that has the best chance at being the store of value that will actually succeed over the test of time. Correct. Okay. And so to that degree, it actually goes back to the idea of decentralization. You pointed at Ethereum and, you know, noting how proof of stake might have large conglomerates that have outsized control over the system. Well, they have control over the validator system and we could talk about exactly what that control looks like and the game theory behind would they ever try to do something wrong or not. But your basic premise that it's just bad hygiene over the long course of time is the main point that I'm picking up. It's bad hygiene. Um, and it's also... so. I just do want to caveat this. For Ethereum to succeed, it doesn't need to be good money, right? Ethereum doesn't need to be good money. It just needs to be good, good a good asset to as fuel for like decentralized compute, right? So it doesn't it, like it, it. It doesn't need to be good money. But we can debate like why is Bitcoin better money than Ethereum, and um, and yeah. So you know, like if you play out the game theory here, right? Large financial institutions become the you know control the control. The, the Ethereum network because they have all the deposits. Well, at some point, it's going to be in the, those financial institutions' interest to increase the inflation. Yeah, I mean that's certainly a, a dis like a game theoretic discussion that we could go down. I don't think I'm qualified enough to have that discussion, frankly. But I see the rationale, right? My view, at least on this stuff, is that the risks of centralization in Ethereum and Solana, like it's still pretty decentralized in my head. At least that's my current view, and the risk that that goes poorly. It's pretty low. 
And then I also want to tack on the idea that, hey, maybe I want my, uh, you know, smart contract ecosystem that has a version of money or whatever. Maybe I want that to be able to be nimble and adjust with times. But there's a fundamental trade-off there. You can't, you can't have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Either you are able to adjust and change with the times, and that comes with a governance structure that means humans can affect the system, mm -hmm. or you're totally decentralized and you are totally ossified in your structure and nothing ever changes for better or worse. Yeah. And, you know, I, and the beauty of this versus government money is that the market can choose, right? And that's what's great, right? And that's what's beautiful about this whole ecosystem is we'll see which one works out, right? You know, we have a million experiments running and we get to see them run and, and see, 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 you know, see which theory or theories are actually true at the end of the day. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the beauty of this. The meta point to me is Bitcoin has no real meaningful competitors on the store of value money use case. We could talk about some competitors. They do have competitors. But if you judge by market cap, Bitcoin stands alone and it stands alone by orders of magnitude. Mm -hmm. So I assume that's part of the narrative here as well, is if you care about money as the main thesis, well, Bitcoin does stand alone in that in that respect. Yes, and it has the network effect. How important is like uh, other aspects of the Bitcoin network, like the amount of security in the network or the liquidity in the markets? Like how much does that factor into your thesis as well? I mean, you know, like at the end of the day, the markets define, you know, how, how valuable Bitcoin is, right? Um, so they're extremely important. Uh, Bitcoin markets are very liquid uh, and you know, over year over year, getting more and more liquid as time goes on. Big thanks to companies like Coinbase for, for building that infrastructure. Um, and you know, I, think, I think we're just entering a world where you know, Bitcoin is you know, one of the most liquid assets in the world, trades 24 seven is you know, the pristine collateral. Um, it, it just becomes this, this asset that is the gold of the digital era. Would you actually go on a limb and say that like you think that these other platforms will eventually fail or it's just that you feel like Bitcoin has a greater chance of succeeding or standing the test of time, I should say? I think that um, Bitcoin has a greater chance of standing the test of time. I think that, you know, what we'll see here over the next years in the year is are these smart contract platforms, you know, competing with each other as technology platforms um, and and basically substrates for you know decentralized compute, and you know how does that play out? Will Ethereum's network effect be able to sort of keep it in the lead of sort of being the desired substrate for this? Will other blockchains just come up and keep eating away at its lunch? Um, it's unclear. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think these blockchains are going away. I think they're going to be like this. This innovation has got to be here here to stay. It allows for this permissionless development and uh, you know of financial products, and I think that's very valuable. Okay, I guess over the long period of time, right? How just how fiat currencies tend to fail, you know, and we see all centralized forms of money tend to fail over a long period of time. That's been the trajectory, the history, so to speak. Um, what I guess uh, the question I'm really hitting at is like, do you expect the same failure modes to be present for smart contract platforms, non-Bitcoin platforms? Well, I think they can fail as money, but not fail as platforms. Oh, interesting. Okay, right. right? Like they can, like Ethereum can fail as being good money, but it can still be a good uh, financial platform, yeah. right? If the Ethereum price stays flat for twenty years, it can still be a, valu a valuable decentralized compute platform. Hmm. Yep. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. Let me switch gears a little bit then too. Let's talk about Bitcoin in specific. I'm curious to hear um, what risks you see evident in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Like, what are the failure modes for Bitcoin today? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's no such thing as 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 no risk. There's all sorts of uh, failure modes for Bitcoin and Maybe I could rank them from what I think is most likely to least likely yeah. over the next like twenty years. Um, 
I think that one failure to risk, and, and this isn't just for Bitcoin, this is honestly for every cryptocurrency, but also just like in, in general, other things in our society is um, cryptography is is, uh, is built on a foundation of sand. Um, cryptography is, uh, we fun like humans fundamentally don't understand like the deepest, darkest, like depths of mathematics. Um, we don't know whether P equals NP. Um, these, you know, and that's sort of an example of these sort of, you know, theoretical math mathematical principles like these there's assumptions we make about um about things and we say if this assumption is true then this cryptography is secure right the the digital signature algorithm underlying bitcoin or the hash functions uh are, are secure if these assumptions are true and these are assumptions that we have that we think are true today that might not be true right what are some examples um one example is um you know, without getting too technical, um, uh, the elliptic curve discrete log problem, it's a math problem. Like we think it's hard. It's the, it's the mm -hmm. math, you know, it's, it's the math principle underlying digital signatures, how your private keys work. Yeah. yeah how your private <laughs> keys work. Um, you know, well, if that actually, if there's something there that we missed, right. Or if someone figures out a way to crack this, um, then, you know, people will, will just be able to swipe people's key, you know, coins from all these blockchains. Yep. And well, there's there's theoretically feasible algorithms to do this with quantum computers. And we how close are we to a quantum computer? No one really knows, right? Um, certainly a risk, right? Um, another risk for Bitcoin. Do you think that's a risk that would actually take down the Bitcoin ecosystem? Or would it just be messy for Bitcoin to kind of like patch to a new cryptographic primitive and restart and move on? I think people, I think people would figure something out, right? Um, it depends on what... Um, what algorithm gets cracked, but if it's like the digital signature sort of like private key algorithm, then uh, I, I do think there would be some emergency changes. Yeah. Um, it also depends on sort of the nature of the attack, whether this is something that, you know, an attacker could just do instantly or whether they need to like grind on a key for like months to unlock, like that kind of changes the nature of the attack. Um, you know, switching over to quantum secure digital signature algorithms is potentially yep. going to be important, but it's also possible quantum computing is just like a scam and never going to happen. Yeah. Like that's also a reality that I don't think enough people talk about. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's possible. But we're highlighting a certain risk to Bitcoin that yes, this rests on cryptography. And by the way, the entire cryptocurrency space rests on cryptography. Yeah. And so does nation state secrets. Like almost all communications worldwide are encrypted through this stuff. So if it does break, it's not just cryptocurrency that's affected. It's so many things. So we hope it doesn't break, but that is a risk. Yeah. But, but if it does, Bitcoin's one of the first that will see it. And no one, like, we'll see if people notice, right? Because, like, Big if you parts. had a quantum computer <laughs> yeah. that could crack private, you know, a private key, what is the first thing you're going to do? You're going to, I'm going to sweep, uh, you know, Binance's cold storage, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like to my own wallet, right? Or something. Um, uh, and then another risk is just economic parameters in Bitcoin sort of not working out long term. Like, um, like you said, like we were talking about with uh, sort of, um, you know, the, will the mining subsidy, you know, given to Bitcoin miners be economically, um, uh, sort of sufficient to keep Bitcoin secure 10, 20, 30, 40 years out. Um, yeah. Unclear. Yeah. That's an open. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of the risk, by the way, too, going back to the idea that, hey, Bitcoin is ossified structure. It's not going to change. And maybe you want it to change, right? I actually do believe, though, that like at the end of the day, structures can change if it's absolutely necessary. If there's enough community support behind a change in Bitcoin, they might change something like that. But, you know, changing the 21 million limit, I, that's uh, probably never going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it would it would probably be a hard fork, and then there'd be a Bitcoin twenty one. Bit, yeah. There'd be Bitcoin, and then there'd be Bitcoin 
I don't know what they call it, right? <laughs> Bitcoin 21 Inflation. or something, yeah. Yeah. Like 21 plus. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, look, and it's funny as you know, the, the structure you're pointing at here are applicable to other cryptocurrency projects too. You know, it's just this general idea that the space has risk in general. I do like your framing though, that, you know, if you're focusing on money, it's important to make sure that you have things that are going to stand the test of time. And as you say, the market's going to play out, which one actually does have to stand the test of time versus not. The contrary point in my head though, too, is I don't personally want to see the economic opportunity and the financial opportunity and the, you know, the change the world opportunity behind smart contract platforms and the ability to create DeFi, NFTs, play around with social structures, add the basic blockchain primitives to things beyond just money. To your point, those might be might be more centralized. They might really just be doing some version of regulatory arbitrage. But I still feel like that sector in that space has tremendous economic value, even if it doesn't work out as money, as you might point out. Mm -hmm. There's still some value to be had there. So that's kind of my response to your positioning. But I can respect, again, and I agree with a lot of the points you're bringing up. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I think I actually agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's great about this, you know, is you find people in the space that we have differences of opinion at the end of the day, but we actually respect and agree with the inputs that go into those decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I actually was expecting you to say, by the way, coming into this was like, I was expecting you to paint a picture on how it's, and this is, I don't know how fair this is to say, but I hear this with people who are Bitcoin maximalists in other spots, um, talking about how it's it's almost inevitable that Bitcoin becomes big enough that it overtakes central fiat currencies. Hmm. That the mechanism in place, it's such a good store of money and it's going to grow so large that it will overtake other fiat currencies. And at that moment, there's going to be a bit of a tension in a battle where the, these centralized governments are not going to cede that position so easily and there's a fight. Well, I think, um, I mean, I agree with that, but I actually think what's going to happen isn't Bitcoin. It, it's sort of the framing. Um, it, it, fiat currencies will fail. They will all fail. Every fiat currency ever created has ever failed until, except for one still around today, which will fail at some point. Um, and Bitcoin will still be here, right? So Bitcoin will just outlast them. Um, there's a single fiat currency that in the history of mankind that has ever lasted more than like, a hundred or so years, mm. right? It's just, so that's sort of how I see it. It's yeah. not like Bitcoin's coming and killing fiat currencies. It's fiat currencies kill themselves and Bitcoin's gonna be, still be around. And, and, you know, there's also this uh, sort of thing that might play out where, um, you know, Bitcoin and digital assets in general aren't just competing with money. They're competing with uh, the nation state as a concept. I mean, there is a theory and, you know, who knows how things play out, but as more and more wealth becomes digitally portable and the proportion of digitally portable wealth to physical real world wealth um, increases, um, the power of the nation state decreases, mm -hmm. right? And then all of a sudden you get weird second order dynamics there. Yeah. Um, who knows how that will play out? Yeah. And maybe as a general rule, the more complex your system is, your cryptocurrency system is, the more avenues for attacking or poking or pressure or things to be exerted. So I can appreciate that a more simplistic structure like Bitcoin that is ossified, well understood, well vetted, well audited, um, has probably a leg up in that scenario. Anything else left to say about Bitcoin and this, this space in general? Well, you know, I think, look, there's a lot of exciting things going on across the cryptocurrency industry, lots of cool innovations. Um, I like to see, you know, like, I think what we're seeing in general um, on, on Bitcoin, but also on other protocols is like the layered scaling, right? Like Bitcoin's had its lightning network, um, you know, like, you know, growing very quickly over the last years and really starting to work extremely well. We're one of the biggest lightning network nodes, but we're also seeing this in Ethereum actually is like, I think the Ethereum sort of uh, world is coming to the same conclusion of like, you know, we should keep our bait layer one like simpler. Um, like this whole sharding thing is like maybe not like what we want to be doing. 
and we just layer that like we go we go up layers right and we like we just get things off chain um and i i think like that mindset is starting to actually sort of like people are learning relearning sort of like yeah. that um which is interesting to see and, and cool when, when you when you have value on chain uh complexity is is really a big enemy yes yeah, i think by the way i think they are going that direction they're trying to make it as simple as possible but it goes back to the fundamental trade-off right if you want an economic system or a smart contract system that can actually be nimble and adjust and change with the times and also add new features more feature development well you need to have a governance structure that can actually affect those changes mm -hmm. which means you're not ossified so there's trade-offs to play here and you can't actually have your cake and eat it too so um but but in general it goes back to the point that hey complexity you know if you can change things you're probably going to be more complex over time not less complex and that is a, a certainly a very real trade-off you so you can have your cake and eat it too if you have your complexity off chain right um you can have your cake and eat it too if you uh and this is like the theory behind bitcoin is you can have small well, i call it false a small footprint like philosophy where you can have it, it, it you know, can you build any system you would want to build with a small, simple on-chain footprint and a small cryptographic commitment that has the rich functionality off-chain, but has the same trustless properties and composability that you would get by putting it, shoving it all onto a layer one? There's a th it's theoretically possible to like build that world, mm -hmm. right? Um, the question is like, how will we get there, and how fast, and which chain will it be built on? And, and and I think that's I think that's sort of what something a trend we'll start to see over the next ten years. And I don't know how it plays out. So it's not that it's 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 more complex than the base chain, but it's less complex than integrating all of those features into the base chain. Which I think what you're pointing at is like, yo, we can have a balanced you know uh, uh, perspective where we are cutting down complexity to every possible corner, we're making it as simple as possible. But at the end of the day, it still does add that measure of complexity. So the Lightning Network network could have potential bugs and errors that don't exist in the base chain, for example. Right. So, yes. Yeah. But a failure there doesn't cause a failure in the base. Chain. Doesn't cause the failure of the base chain. Yeah. Yes. So it's not an existential risk. Right. But it's if you want to play in the ecosystem, you accept the risks that are associated with that, and we all move forward with our lives. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. This has been great. Thanks for having yeah, me. I appreciate your thoughts, your perspective. It's been awesome for sure. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. As always, I'm really curious on this one. This is probably a debate you've had many times before with your friends. Did we answer some questions for you? Do we clarify things? Are there areas left unexplored? Tweet at us. Leave us a comment on YouTube. And as always, like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Catch us on the web as well, coinbase.com slash around the block for all the past podcast episodes and long form research and more. Until next week, see you then. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties.